0: this goes up. It does. Thanks, worship team. That was fantastic. There's lots of times during the week when you get to worship God, but you only get to worship God together like this once, so it's awesome when we get the chance. Um... This morning, we're continuing in the series on 1 Corinthians uh, in the foundations that Paul is laying in this church in Corinth that's a little shaky on its foundations, a little wobbly in its faith, a little off in its behavior, and Paul has to come back and relay the foundations. But uh, before I get into that, I just wanted to mention something. Uh, I haven't met with half of you half as often as I wanted to. And. Uh, Part of it is because our house is ripped apart for construction. We moved in, and they've torn it apart, and it's not done yet. And um, although they're doing an awesome job, that's not a comment on the contractors. Um, but we want to have people over more often and meet with you, and so I'm sorry that we haven't engaged with everybody quite as much, or even half as much as I'd hope to. But on that note, if you are a newcomer or you've just come in the last few months or you're just re-engaging with Lakeside, some of you would have got an invitation. And if you're here today and you're just a newcomer, there's a luncheon right afterwards. I just wanted to remind everybody of that, that there's a luncheon for newcomers and uh, for people who have sort of re-engaged in the last four or five months. And uh, that'll be at the Archibald's Place. And anybody who wants to meet with me or hasn't had a chance to meet with me yet can can come up there. Um, just head out on Pine Street and keep going. Last house on the right. (laughs) Um, So there's that. There was one other thing I wanted to mention as well. It'll come to me. All right, let's begin. Uh, I'll open up in prayer before we start. Father God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you that we have an opportunity to look into it once again and to study. And I just pray that as we continue in this series, uh, especially today as we lay The foundation of the gospel that uh, your Holy Spirit would speak to us, um, that speak to me, and uh, that we would learn what it is that Paul is saying when he says that the gospel and the word of the cross has power for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, we talked about grace that enriches this is a church that probably didn 't feel all that rich and Paul opens up his letter in the very first paragraph he says that they 're rich they have their, God has poured out all the riches that they need in in speech or teaching and in knowledge and in the gifts of the holy Spirit and uh, I think about riches in my own life and I think about where i 've invested in things and how much that enri- enriches me like recently i 've you know spent a lot of money on snowmobiling, I got a sled, I got gas, I got the trail permit, I got insurance, I got all of that and you know I, snowmobiling enriches my life, I suppose in, in sort of a way, but I think of how much I invested in snowmobiling and i didn 't invest that much compared to some, and how much it enriches my life, say compared to the church and it 's not really a good payback really, and uh, you know I get some fitness benefits maybe, and it 's something to do in the cold, um, but i 'm not sure how it enriches me and you know, I think of other places that we, we, put, we put things in our life, like, you know, we invest in, you know, satellite TV or cell phones, and, you know, those things enrich us a little bit or maybe make us more poor in some ways. Um, but this, the enrichment in our lives, when you start to compare it, I re, you realize that God has enriched the church, that the relationships and the mentoring and the knowledge and the, you know, I found my wife through the church, and, you know, like all of these things that we get out of the church... And, and the care for my son and the teaching that he gets and, and all the things we get out of the church that enriches our lives. And so we talked about the grace of God that's poured out on the church and enriches us far beyond anything I can imagine in my life enriching me. If I look back over my years, my life is made rich because of the church. And then, as you continue in 1 Corinthians there, we're going to skip over a short section. I'm going to figure out why I'm getting this feedback skip over a short section there of verses where Paul introduces his first concern, which many of you will know if you've studied 1 Corinthians, it's where most people start and may not get any farther in the book, the divisions and the lack of unity in the church, and he's going to pick up that topic again in chapter 2, and we're going to cover that issue in detail next week, but before diving into that topic, Paul, he just starts it, and then he sort of gets distracted. And he almost seems to distract himself when he mentions the power of the gospel. And he embarks on this 17 verse long appeal to the power of the gospel. And it's the way Paul often writes and the way I imagine that he often spoke. And that uh, he just sort of breaks off onto these little side channels and tells us all these great truths about the power of the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at today. So last week we looked at the grace of God enriching us, and this week we're going to look as the Spirit leads, we'll consider how the gospel of Christ empowers us. And so the context is power, okay? This is what I want you to get clear, because this was a tricky sermon to write, I'll tell you. I struggled with this one for days, because Paul is not easy. You remember when I said the Apostle Paul, his writings are considered scripture, and in 2 Peter, Peter's talking about Paul, and he says, our brother Paul, beloved brother Paul you know, the things that he writes are hard to understand. Okay, this is one of them. (laughs) It's hard to, he points us in all the right directions, but we have to do the homework to figure out what is the power that is in the gospel. So the context here is power. I want to make that clear. Paul is talking about power, and he's talking to a church that needs to change. He's talking to a group of people who need power to change. Power definitively is the ability to ability to affect change, the ability to do something. That's what power is. And so to do something or to act in a particular way. And so how do we get power from the gospel? How do we are able to act in a particular way from the gospel? What is the point Paul is making? Is what Corinth needed. It's what we need. And Paul's answer to power is the gospel, the word of the cross, the preaching of Christ crucified. And so we're going to look at this in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 18 down to 2-5. So it's a long section, but we're only going to work on a few verses of it. Let's hear the reading, or hear the word of God in his scripture. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. (laughs) God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers You read that, I know many of you, just like me, even as I was standing up here reading that are going, Paul, what are you saying? It sounds really profound, but it's so long and convoluted and arduous, and he's saying all these different things, but we can pick out what he keeps repeating over and over and over again. He's talking about power, and he's talking about Christ crucified, right? And so we're going to go through this, and we're going to take it apart, and we're going to show that you can understand this, that Paul is actually saying something very real here to the church in Corinth, which is a church that's divided and it's bickering and it's argumentative and people are getting drunk at communion and they're at odds with one another and they're unsure of their faith and they seem to be drifting and they're taking each other to court and all of that stuff that's going on. And he's saying, and he's saying to them, not only are you enriched, but you have power to affect change. You have power to act differently. And so there's three questions I want to answer from this text today to pull out of that that sort of clump of Paul's writing there. The three questions are where is the power? For who is the power? And how is it power? And so the first one, where is the power? And I've titled the sermon, The Gospel That Empowers, even though the word gospel doesn't actually appear anywhere in that text. Paul never actually says gospel. So where am I getting gospel from? Well, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, what is it? It is the word of the cross. The word of the cross is foolishness to the world, to those who are perishing, But to us, us Christians who I'm talking to right now, to the church, the word of the cross, which is the gospel, it is the power of God. The centrality of Jesus on a cross for our sin and all the things that Jesus on a cross for our sin accomplished. All the implications, all the meaning from that, all the lessons that can be taught from that, the power that flows out of that climax in human history is the word of the cross. That's the gospel. That's what is power to those who are being saved. And farther down, Paul says again, We preach Christ crucified. And then later again, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the gospel. That's why the foundation is the gospel. That's why it's the gospel that empowers us. It's the good news. It's the story. It's the reality. It's the historical fact that Christ came, the Son of God, and died on a cross for us. Seems crazy to the rest of the world, but it's power to us who are being saved. It's the gospel. This amazing news that God did not leave us to die in our sin, trapped in our rebellion against him. The good news is that there's a solution for our sin, that God would send his own son to die and fix the relationship that we broke and, and turn our eyes away from evil and envy and hate and anger and turn us toward what is righteous and what is good to himself. And that's where Paul says there's power. There's power in the gospel. Okay, I'll grant you that. So, for who is the gospel power? Right? And when we think about the gospel, and I touched on this a few weeks ago, when we think about the gospel, we think about the power of the gospel to transform lives, just like I talked about. The power of the gospel is for the sinful world, right? The power of the gospel is to take all those people who are lost in darkness, and it takes them from darkness and into light, and it takes their evil desires, and it turns them good, and it begins a process of sanctification, and it repairs the damage of the relationship with God. So, the power of the gospel is for the lost. And that is true, but now the answer here is going to be us. The power of the gospel is for us, the believers, the Christians. Otherwise, there's not much point in the sermon, and there's not much point in Paul bringing it up with the people of Corinth if he's talking about the power of the gospel with those that are lost. But it's worth noticing again and treasuring this reality that the power of the gospel is for those of us who are being saved. Present, continuing sense of the verb in the Greek, right? Us who are in the middle of being saved right now, us Christians, us people like those in Corinth, Paul is primarily talking about the power of the gospel for Christians. Paul has in mind the power of the gospel for the saints to empower those that are being saved. He's writing a letter to a gathering of believers who need power. And he doesn't say, notice Paul doesn't say, forget about the gospel, You know, I preached you the gospel, and you guys were saved, and so you're past the gospel. Move on to other things. He says, no. He says, the word of the cross is power for us who are being saved. For us right now. Right? It's like, I I looked it up because I I didn't want to forget, that hymn is awesome. I love to tell the story. You notice the last verse there. When we just sang it there, she wrote in her poem, I love to tell the story for those who know it best. They seem hungering, excuse me, and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Right? The story is for the people who know the story best. The story is for us. You keep teaching it to yourself. You keep telling yourself that story. You keep reminding yourself of the gospel. The power of the gospel never gets be left behind. The power of the cross never gets left behind. And that's not to say that the power isn't for the unsaved. Clearly, the power of the gospel is for the unsaved. Romans ten seventeen: faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If anybody here is a believer, you're a believer because you heard the gospel and you responded to it. And it penetrated your life and it changed you, right? First Peter 1, says you've been born of a seed not that is perishable but that is imperishable the gospel of Christ. Nobody's born again by any other method than the gospel. Ephesians 2.28 By grace you've been saved through faith. So there's all this power of the gospel which is out there for the unsaved world, for us before we know God. But the gospel is power that is also for us. An example that John Piper gave once in terms of our strength coming from the gospel and he talked about this in sort of a similar way. He says when people ask you about uh, you know how you know you're saved, or how you know you believe, or, or, or how you know you're a Christian. You don't reach into your wallet and pull out a card from 10 years ago and say, oh yeah, I prayed a prayer. I, you know, I know I'm a Christian because 10 years ago I got this card that said I did something. You say, I'm, I'm a Christian today because I believe today. Because I, I tell myself the story again today. I preach myself the gospel again today. I remember what Christ did for me again today. In the same way that if somebody came up to you and said, asked you, said, how, how do you know you're alive? You don't get your wallet out and pull out your birth certificate and say, see, there's a card here. It says I was born, you know, March 19th, 1970. So that's why I'm alive. You know, you know, you go, no, I'm breathing. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm in life right now. And that's what the gospel is for Christians. It's something that's right now. It's not 10 years ago. It's not six months ago. It's not 40 years ago. The gospel's right now. It's what we live in. You breathe it every day. This is the air I breathe. Wow, man, how did you do that? (laughs) It's like you were reading my mind. So that's fine. The gospel is power for us. How is the gospel power? How is it power? And that's where Paul doesn't really land that plane directly for us in this text. Okay, He's pointing us in all the right directions. And as I meditated on this, I felt it Sort of best to explain the power that sort of operates on different levels. Okay, so bear with me as I do this. There's sort of three or four different levels that the power of the gospel operates on. And as we consider the different levels of the power that the gospel operates on, it sort of starts at sort of the supernatural, mysterious power of God and the gospel that we talk about in terms of the word of God and the power of the word of God that we sang about. And it works its way down from that level, right down to practical lessons that the gospel teaches us. Teaches Corinth, you know, teaches the Corinthians. Gospel lessons that are taught to us through what Christ did, and what we can learn from the gospel. So bear with me. The first one is that the power of, is the power of God's logos, or his word, okay? Okay? It says there that the word of the cross, in that first, in 18 there, it says the word of the cross is power to us who are being saved. And the word there is logos, the word of the cross, or the word of God. And so there's power, mysteriously, implicitly, supernaturally, in the word of God. Okay? God spoke, and there was light. God spoke, and the universe came into being. God spoke, and we were created. There was creation. God speaks prophecy and it comes to pass, right? God speaks the events of history and they unfold exactly as he speaks them. And Isaiah fifty-five eleven talks about this, it says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so the first level of the power of the gospel is the fact that the gospel is the word of God. And God says that when he speaks and the word goes out from his mouth, it doesn't return empty. It accomplishes the thing that he purposed. And that's power. The act, the ability to do something, to effect change, that's power. That's the definition of power. That's the power Paul is talking about here. I don't think it's an accident that Paul says the logos of the cross. Logos comes up again, you'll remember. The Gospel of John, first chapter. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And then later on in 14, and the Logos became flesh. Okay, The Word of God is power. Christ is the Word of God. The Word of God made flesh. And the Word of the cross is the Word of God on the cross. And it's Power. And that's power that we don't really comprehend the power of the gospel in that context, okay? So just sort of put that on the shelf and say, there's a power in the word of God that's this mysterious, supernatural, unbelievable power that we know and experience as believers because it came into our life and changed us. Secondly, it's a power because of that transformed people. It says there that it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The power of the gospel is in the transformation that took place. Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, creating for himself a new people, an ecclesia. Remember, I've used that word before, a gathering, a congregation, a church a people that the world can't comprehend, a people, a church, like this church in Corinth is, like Lakeside is, a church that's founded on the reality of Christ on the cross and all the implications of that power. And it's foolishness. And you consider even the disciple Peter who misunderstood the power of this foolish gospel, this foolish plan that God had, that he would send his son to die. Jesus is explaining to the disciples That he has to go up to Jerusalem and then he's going to be crucified and then he's going to resurrect and all the promises will come to pass. And Peter totally misunderstands the power of this gospel, the gospel of the cross. And Peter says to Jesus, God bless you, Master, nothing like that must ever happen to you. right?" And Peter's thinking the wisdom of men, he's thinking the the foolish wisdom of men. He's thinking, Jesus, you know, we fed 5,000 people and people like that. Right, And we've got people who are attracted to you, and we've got a following, and, and these miracles. You keep doing stuff like that, we're going to have people on our side. We might even have a rebellion. We might even be able to throw the, over the Roman Empire. We're going to have our Messiah now. You're, you're gaining political power. And so Peter's saying, that's never going to happen to you, Master. You're not going to go and get killed. You're just, you're just getting power now. This is working. And Jesus says, get behind me, Peter. No, he doesn't say Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Right? He says, you don't get it. You've got the wisdom of the world in your head right now. God's wisdom is way beyond this. And what does he create? He creates the wonder of this ecclesia, this church that's founded on Christ on a cross, and the, congreg- and the it confounds the world. Shortly after, Paul writes this letter, actually. There's a pagan emperor, Julian, It's just a few decades later. And the pagan emperor, Julian, he's trying to lead the Roman Empire back into paganism. And he's frustrated by this ecclesia that Christ, in his turned upside down wisdom, has created. He's frustrated by the superior morality shown by the Christians, especially when it came to charity. He writes a letter to a friend of his called... And in this letter, the emperor Julian, who is trying to drag the empire back into paganism, he says to his friend, he says, It is disgraceful when no Jew is a beggar and the impious Galileans support our own poor in addition to their own. Everyone is able to see that our own co-religionists are in want of aid from us. This is the emperor of Rome. And he's saying these Galileans, that's his word for Christians, these Christians are taking care of their own poor and they're taking care of our poor. And it's embarrassing because they're showing us up, right? And then there's there's a comedian, a Roman comedian at the time, Lucian. He mocks the Christians for their charity. And he says the earnestness in which the people of this religion help one another in their needs is incredible. They spare themselves nothing for this end. Their first lawgiver put it into their heads that they were all brothers. (laughs) So the world, the Roman Empire, can't get it. They're mystified by the power of this gospel. That the Christians would care for each other to the point that there was no need among any of them. And that they would care for all the pagan Romans as well that had need. So that the emperor was upset the fact that his own poor people were being cared for by Christians. And this comedian can't get it into his head the way in which they spare nothing for each other because they're convinced that they're all brothers and sisters. And so the wisdom of God, the sacrificial gospel-powered culture of Christianity confounded the Roman Empire. They didn't get it. So that's the second way in which the gospel is power. It's power because of that transformation, because of the ecclesia, because of the church, because of the congregation that Peter didn't understand Jesus was forming, but Jesus understood that he was going to create a people that would confound the wisdom of the world. Thirdly, it's power because the gospel is teaching us and we're coming down sort of from the power of God, the logos, the mystery of the supernatural sovereignty of God and his power going forth and not coming back void. To the power of Christ on the cross and his plan, the wisdom of this plan to create a people that would confound the world. And then thirdly, to get it closer to home and keep coming closer to our hearts. It's the power because the gospel is teaching us righteousness in all the facets of life. In verse 30 here in 1 Corinthians it says, He who became to us wisdom from God, Christ Jesus, became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What's Paul talking about there? Again, it, this is... I'm not going to kid you and say this is easy. you got to work hard sometimes. Paul makes us work. And that's good, because you don't get any benefit from the exercise if you don't work a little bit. But what is he saying here? That, that he became wisdom to us from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Titus 2, 11 and 12, I think, is what... Gives us a little bit of insight on this. If you look at Titus 2, 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's Jesus on the cross. That's the gospel. Look what it says in verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So Titus 2 talking about the grace of God that's appeared, that's brought salvation for all people, talking about the gospel of Christ on the cross that brought salvation, says that this gospel, this grace of God, this wisdom has trained us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. The gospel has power because it trains us, because it teaches us. And you say, okay, I don't get it. How does it do that? Well, let's just put up a picture of Christ on the cross because that's really what it's all about, right? That's what Paul's been hammering home, that this is the word of the cross, that this is the gospel of Christ crucified. And so, oh, you can't see it all that well, sorry. But this picture of Christ on the cross, what does the gospel teach us? Well, let's start asking ourselves some questions as Christians. Some questions that maybe the Corinthians needed to ask themselves. This sort of messed up church that Paul is trying to get across has power in this message of the cross. How bad is sin? That's how bad. How precious are people? That's how precious. What is sacrifice? That's sacrifice. How are we to love our wives, husbands? How much can we give until we've given too much? The gospel teaches us how great God is how humble we should be, how we should forgive others. I think this is what Paul's getting at. Paul is saying, you put the gospel of the cross at the center of anything in your life as a Christian or as a church, and it teaches you. It teaches you how humble you should be, how forgiving you should be, how loving you should be. It teaches you how bad sin is. It teaches you how worthy people are to be loved. The gospel teaches us. Now, Paul didn't land the plane here, he didn't spell all this out for us. But all we have to do is consider Christ on the cross, and we get taught all these lessons. We get taught how valuable we are, we get taught how we're supposed to forgive. We get taught how we're supposed to treat each other. We get taught what the things of the world are worth versus what the things of heaven and God are worth. Does that make sense? Like, I'm really struggling with this, so give me some feedback. (laughs) Is the cross of Christ teaching us anything? Man, it teaches us everything. Now, I'll leave you with a warning. I've got a few minutes. This is a warning to us as Christians and it's a warning to us as a church. And it's a warning that I think Paul was giving to the Corinthians specifically because as he was teaching all of this in this little section, 17 verses or so, he kept comparing the wisdom of God to the wisdom of men. He repeated it three or four times. And so the warning here that I think is woven through this from Paul is that the gospel is power for the church and power for our lives Only if it remains this gospel, if it remains pure. You've got to understand the context again. In Greek culture, the drama. Like, was drama a big thing in Greek culture? Yeah, drama was a big thing, right? Rhetoric, wisdom, philosophy. They would meet in the agora, in the marketplace, and traveling arguers, debaters would come and they would debate, that's where the word rhetoric comes from, rhetorical speakers, and it didn't matter whether they were wrong or right, they didn't care if they were arguing for truth, they could argue for or against anything, they didn't win points on truth, they won if they could convince you of their argument. And this is the culture Paul's in, and this is the culture that the church in Corinth is in. They're surrounded by philosophies and religion and rhetorical debaters and all of these people that are saying, this is how you should live your life, and you need to sort it out this way, and you need to sort it out this way, to the point that they were going to court to try to get things sorted out. And Paul eventually has to say, what are you going to the wisdom of the world for? Why are you going to the courts to sort this thing out? Don't you know you're going to judge angels, and you can't get this sorted out? But this is the pressure on Corinth. It's the pressure on us. The warning here is the gospel only remains power for Corinth and for us and in our lives at Lakeside if it remains the pure, simple gospel of Christ on the cross. You can't add anything to it. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And he says specifically, I didn't come to you with fancy words of wisdom. I didn't come to you like these rhetorical speakers. I didn't come to you trying to convince you based on my orative speaking ability. He just said, I came to you faltering and hesitating and in fear and trembling and preached you one thing which was just the gospel. It wasn't dressed up in any way because Paul didn't want them to be converted to anything else. This is the warning to me as a preacher and us as a church as we evangelize. We can get tempted into trying to dress up the gospel to make it more appealing to people so that they get converted to something to make it more palatable, to make the gospel something that, you know, you can put on Oprah so that millions of people say, oh, yeah, I believe in that, and we have all these converts, but they're not converted to the gospel. They're converted to the dressing up that we've done of it. And Paul said, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to preach Christ crucified. And it only has power. You can convert a million people, but not convert them to the gospel. Other religions have the power to convert, but they don't have the power to save their souls. It's not an issue of conversion. It's an issue of truth. And so the gospel only has power for us if we keep it pure. Some of you may know the name Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, had a megachurch in London, the Met, and tens of thou—ten, well, about 10, 15,000 people would worship there. And Charles Spurgeon, he was walking to the Metropolitan Church one day, and he was accosted by a drunk out of the gutter. And this drunk comes up and he says, I'm one of your converts. And Spurgeon says, I imagine you are, because if you were Christ's convert, you wouldn't be drunk in the gutter. (laughs) Spurgeon knew the difference between people being converted by his amazing speaking and people being converted by the power of the gospel of Christ. We can convert people with an MTV gospel, with something that comes out of Hollywood, or we can convert people with the simple truth of Christ on a cross. That's the only conversion that matters. And it only has power if it is the true gospel. And it only has power in our lives if it is the true gospel, right? We can't take anything away from it. We can't have a gospel with no consequences, a gospel that you can talk about on Oprah, a gospel that will sell many books, a gospel, that gospel won't have any power left to affect change in anybody's life or to move them from darkness to light, from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. So all of that to say that in this text, as Paul sort of breaks off in this sort of parentheses and he's going to get back and he's going to talk about unity again, But he's saying to the church at Corinth, and he's saying to us, you have power. Not only have you been enriched, you have all the riches of teaching and knowledge and spiritual gifts, but you also have power to change. And the power to change is right here in the gospel of Christ on the cross. You can look at Christ on the cross and ask yourself any lesson you need to learn. How bad is sin? How precious are people? How am I supposed to forgive? How much do I give before it's too much? How great is God? How humble should I be? How are we to treat each other? All of those lessons are in the gospel of the cross. Let's pray. Father God, I give you thanks for your word. I give you thanks for your Holy Spirit that comes alongside and teaches us when we're not sure. And uh, I give you thanks for all the lessons of the cross. I pray that we would learn them every day, that we would not leave the gospel behind, but we would be a people that are at the foot of the cross day by day, day by day, day by day, learning another lesson. Father, I thank you that your word has supernatural power, that when you speak, it happens, that in your sovereignty you've chosen and we've heard your call and you've turned our lives towards you. And Father, you have the power to transform our lives. You have the power to change us and from a world watching us to change the world. And so, Father, I pray that your wisdom would confound the wisdom of Halliburton, that your gospel would seem foolish to people, and they would not be able to comprehend what's going on here at Lakeside, but they would be interested to find out, because it's better than anything they've experienced. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.